0: you don't owe anybody anything. I mean, you starting at a job is, is amazing. They're going to train you and, and you, you know, need to give it your all, but if it is not for you, you do not need to stay. You don't need to stay for anyone else. I mean, your life is, is your life and that's it. Even if it were your parents, right? What do you owe them? You owe them to do what is going to make you happy. That's what they want. And ultimately, if you're at a career and you feel like, you know, your bosses need you to stick around or it's too late or whatever it is, you're really only letting yourself down.
1: Hello, it's Marcy Bullock with season two of your favorite career readiness podcast. Learn tips on personal and professional development hear inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles. I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. This is Marcy Bullock with the most important five P's. Stay present, trust the process, explore your path, release the pressure valve, and unleash your potential. Hello it's Marcy Bullock with Wolfpack Career Chats. Today I have Audrey Gianini on the line. Hello Audrey. Hey there. It's so great to have you today. I know that um, this conversation is going to be so juicy because when we met, I said, I must interview you because you have such an exciting story about following your purpose, about figuring out who you are and finding a way to make a living at it. So tell our guests a little bit about your career path. It's been a windy one, right? Yeah,
0: it definitely has. I've, I've I, don't, I guess it maybe is the stereotypical millennial in me, but I kind of just kept searching for like what was going to scratch my itch. Um, so I started out when I was in college, I I knew my passion's always been psychology. I took psychology classes when I was in high school, like anything that was available to me as it related to psychology, that was what I wanted. And then uh, when I was in, in college, we I, I was in the business school. I knew maybe I wanted to do business in psychology. I wasn't really sure. And 2008 hit, and it was very serious. And I was watching a lot of people struggling to get jobs, and and you know money was very much on the mind, and and it was enough to scare me away from psychology. Um, and my parents are both accountants, and they 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 actually didn't want me to go into accounting, but I knew that it was a really stable career path. And I took my first accounting course, I was really good at it. And my, I was actually my oldest brother said to me, do it, just get your CPA. And then you can figure it out after that. If you want to change career paths, at least you know how to run a business because you got your CPA. So there, there was sort of some like foreshadowing of what was going to happen in my life. But once I went into accounting, I was, I was there, I was like, you know, fully, on the path. Um, I went into a big four for purposes of travel and I worked in audit and it turns out people hate their auditors. So I really didn't (laughs) like working in audit. I switched over to tax and tax is a lot more. um, I was closer to my clients, which was really nice. I always loved the people part. That was, that was really the only part that I loved. Everything else I was good at, but my, the passion part of it, which I later recognized that when you're doing things that you're passionate about, it gives you energy when you're doing things you're not passionate about, it sort of sucks the energy and, and you can start to, to see those different, you know, behaviors once you, once you recognize that. Um, so I was almost 10 years into, uh, accounting and, honestly, the hours are insane. So it was enough to be able to recognize that I, my body sort of, it really didn't give me much of a chance. It was like, no, you have to take a step back. I mean, I was working 70 hours a week, every week. I just needed a breath. And, um, I did not realize I was going to leave accounting. I just knew I wanted to do something different, maybe within the industry. Uh, and my husband and I were, were chatting one night and he was like, This is so silly. You have always joked around about being a therapist ever since I've known you and long before that. I mean, I've said it since I was a kid, just do it. You know, if you get a master's in psychology, like what's the worst that happens? You have a master's in psychology and then you go back to accounting. If it turns out, that's not what you want to do. Um, and I have to sort of plug my privilege and recognize that not everybody has the opportunity just to go back to school because they want to. So I, I, I do definitely know that about my story, that it's, um, it's something that my husband and I were able to financially handle. Um, but nevertheless, that was what I decided to do. So I went back to school and um, didn't actually do psychology. It was traditional psychology and learning is much more focused on research and science and data and my passion as people. Um, so I went the couple and family therapy route and I'm still in school right now. I'm starting to work with, I'll be working with clients starting in September. So in like two months, which is really exciting. Um, and it's every day. I'm, I mean, it's crazy. It is a ton of work, but every day it is just further validation that I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm on the right path. Um, and I actually haven't dropped the accounting part. I'm still, I have my own little firm. So I have like 10 or 15 uh, small entrepreneurial clients. A lot of them are women. So that's been really fun for me too. Um, and I'm hoping to maybe eventually combine the two and do like financial therapy one day. So maybe, a, you know, a little bit of both working with couples and entrepreneurs on just their relationship with money, which as we all
1: know, can be a big issue. So
0: that was a long story. <laughs> that that's, that's my story. <laughs>
1: Thank you for that overview. Oh my goodness. So 10 years as an accountant, and you just said feeling drained, saying to yourself, is this all there is? And, you know, a third of your waking hours are spent in your professional self. So you made this great courageous leap to go back to school and you're feeling more energized now, and you're going to be able to combine these two things. That's, that's so exciting. I think a lot of people need, um, help with how to deal with money, and I've even heard that's one of the biggest problems in relationships is money.
0: Oh yeah, I just did a whole research project on it, and it is it, it's top three, if not the number one reason for divorce, and not even just divorce for for long term relationships breaking up. Um, and I did it was almost sort of a PSA out to my class because a lot of a lot of therapists don't don't talk about money. It was you know I realized. There is a, there's such a need because the accounting people that I used to work with, my coworkers, they don't want to talk about feelings and therapists don't want to talk about money. You know, they're, they're both uncomfortable with it. So the combination of the two, I think is, it's really important. It's, you know, we all have, um, there's a term called money scripts. So we all have these narratives about money that we take from our, from our family of origin and bring into our relationships and into our new families Um, and pass them down to our kids. And we're, we're doing it without even recognizing what they are. Um, So it's, you know, I think, I think it would be a very healing process to work with someone on, you know, what stories are you telling yourself about money? Do they need to be changed? Are they healthy? Do you, are these things you want to pass down to your kids? I mean, there's, there really is, there's a lot of juice there. There's a lot to talk about there.
1: Wow. I'm thinking about it in my own life as you tell that um, that description of a script because, I mean, when I got married, I inherited a debt from my husband and mm-hmm. my parents paid for my college and even in terms of how we raise our own family what are we going to do with our money? How are we going to spend it? Do you, do you need to have really a lot of material things or do you want experiences? What would be your, your main, like top tips to listeners if they are thinking about a long-term relationship with this whole idea of having a conversation with your partner about money? Yeah. Um,
0: So there is my, my favorite theory of couple and family therapy right now is collaborative therapy and narrative. So there's these two, um, what they're called as postmodern theories. Postmodernism is essentially that there is uh, no one reality. So there's no, there's not necessarily one right way to do anything. There's not one right way to have a a relationship or a marriage or raise your kids. I mean, it's all very individualized. I can't say that there are any tips about, you know, how to spend your money or how to tell your kids how to spend their money or anything like that. It's more the thing I would scream at the top of the rooftops if I could, which I'm glad I'm saying it on a podcast so a bunch of people can hear it, is do not ignore it. There are so many people, women, especially that are just really uncomfortable with the topic Um, and therefore they ignore it because they're afraid, which I totally understand. I mean, I think there's a lot of taboo topics that are just easier not to talk about, but long-term it's not easier long-term it's harder because there's, you know, things come up. I mean, I was working with a woman who she had been married for 35 years, her husband all of a sudden up and left. She had never even looked at her finances. She had no idea what she had available. He took everything, and she was at square one. And she didn't even know she didn't know what income was. I mean, she, just, she didn't know anything, which is pretty normal, believe it or not. I mean, it's, it is a relatively normal, normal scenario. So for for you know college students that are hoping to maybe I meet my person soon and hoping to get into a serious long term relationship, don't ignore it. Talk about it. Talk about what you're bringing to the relationship. Talk about how it was with your family um, and how you want it to be together. And, and if there's stuff you want to get rid of, get rid of it. I mean, this, that's your option. This is your life. So yeah, I can't necessarily say that I have, I have, you know, the golden answer, but I would say, talk about it. Um, save early is, is a good one for anybody. If you have the means, right? Not everybody does, but definitely save early. Um, and I am a firm believer that comparison can be really unhealthy. Um, so I would be really careful who you're, you know, what friends you are talking to about their money and how they spend their money. Everybody is different. So just be really careful when you're comparing and, and, you know, maybe keep that postmodernism in the back of your mind that there is no one right answer and you got to figure it out for yourself.
1: So what's your opinion, because you've been studying this and you made this career change from a career that I'm sure you made a lot of money at and Mm -hmm. now you're pursuing meaning and my students and I talk about this a lot, the two M's, you know, money versus meaning, like, can Mm -hmm. I go after that artist job, but I'll be starving. So do you think that money does buy happiness and how is that laid out in your life, Audrey? (laughs)
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because, you know, I would say accounting is um, stable, not lucrative. So it was, I made a, I made a very healthy salary. I mean, I made, I made enough money to not only live, but to be able to travel and and really enjoy ourselves. But accountants are somewhat underpaid. That being said, I knew I was taking a pay cut when I switched over to this career. I mean, it just was what it was. Um, And I think, you know, going into accounting, you hear people say it's, you know, money isn't the only thing that makes you happy. But I think I had to experience that to recognize that, you know, making enough money, but not having time to spend it was not, was not how I wanted to live my life. I was, I was making money. I was saving money, which was great. And I, all I was doing was I was working a lot, but even more than that, it was that energy sucking time that, that I was putting into my career. So even when I got off of work and I had time to enjoy it, I couldn't because I was so tired. So I know going into this new career, I will inevitably, at least in the beginning, make less money. Um, I also recognize, I think if for me, this is my personality, so I'll speak for myself, but it's something that I'm so passionate about that um. I will, as a therapist, likely have some time where I'm sitting across one-on-one, but I also am hoping to get out and speak, do workshops, do trainings, that type of stuff. And there's, you know, from the accounting mindset, um, you you can make your career and your passion more lucrative. You just have to figure out creative ways. So for those potential starving artists, I would maybe challenge you to do a training or teach or you know figure out ways that you're not just doing. Um, time is time is money, unfortunately, right? So figure out a way to maximize your time. That would be a challenge that I would put out to those of you that are really passionate about something that doesn't make a whole lot of money. Figure out figure out ways, and maybe it's you know, 80% of the time you're painting and 20% of the time you're teaching just to, to make the starving artist lifestyle a little bit easier. Um, but from an accounting perspective, there really are ways to make more money off of these passion you know, passionate careers rather than the like responsible
1: ones. Yeah. You're speaking my language. And just to refer to an earlier episode, episode 90 listeners, we interview Veronica Vale, who has made a career out of her love for art. So it is possible, but Mm -hmm. it's the gig economy. Like you were talking about, you can do your accounting on the side, have your therapy business, and all of that can tie together. So I love, um, I love what you just described about that with how you're going to combine these two things. So this is, this is a great thing for our listeners to reflect on while they're in college. Am I following, I don't even want to say the word passion too many times because I think sometimes that overwhelms people, but your curiosity, something that's meaningful to you. And you talked about this inner voice. Tell us more about this inner voice that maybe you ignored early on.
0: Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was I remember vividly in middle school, I was that kid that if any of my friends had any problems with family or with their friends or whatever it was, I was the one that was, I was a good kid, but I was taking time out of my classes. I was skipping classes to sit in the hallway and, and talk with people about what was going on with them. And I was doing this from the time I was, I was, I was doing it with my, (laughs) with my older siblings when I was like seven, it just was something that felt very uh, natural to me. And, um, I always, always said, I want to be a therapist. I want to be a therapist. I actually said I wanted to be a sex therapist way back. when I was like 10 saying this. And, um, and I let the fear of, of money and stability and independence kind of get in the way of that. It worked out, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily regret the route that I went. Um, but would it have been nice to have 10 more years under my belt of doing something that I absolutely love? Definitely. So I think for me, the, the, one of the big turning points was that conversation with my husband of what's the worst that happens. And then also um, there was a book that I read and I was sort of part of a, a discussion group around it. It was called Unique Ability. And the concept of it is to find what is, what is special, not even special. What is it about you that is just so natural? You don't even have to think about it. It takes no energy whatsoever. It just comes naturally to you. And every single one of us, it's totally different. For all of us, it's completely different. And I think a lot of us feel this need to kind of fit into a box of what other people tell us, you know, oh, you need to be this way. You need, Oh, you're out in the business world. You need to be serious. You need to be professional. You need to be, you know, whatever. That's not how we work. We're humans. We're all completely different. So this book and the discussion group really helped me. Um, sort of recognize and hone in on what, what was it that came naturally to me that I didn't have to think about that, that if I were to somehow hone that in my career and make money off of it, it wouldn't take more energy than, than, you know, maybe if I'm in accounting, right. I, I, my unique ability, ultimately the sort of elevator pitch was that I naturally give people a safe space to feel vulnerable, not judged, and to to work through what they want their life to look like. Like that was what I've done since I was a kid very naturally. So if I stayed in accounting, the question was, how do I hone that? How do I do that in accounting so that I'm getting energy from my job? Or how do I just do that in general? And I decided to just do it. So I think for your listeners, that would be the question is what is natural and, and recognize that not only is it different from everybody that you're in class with, but also that's a great thing that it's different and that's something to be excited about. Um, but it does take some work to kind of figure out what it is.
1: It really does. And I like that you went back to this childhood, Audrey, of helping out your siblings and being the person that listened. I I think there are these nudges that we get throughout our lives, and some people don't pay attention to them. And they're just on this path with blinders on. And if you start looking back to age 10 and say, oh my gosh, I was always out in the creek, you know, well, maybe I need to be outside in a career doing some environmental research. There's so many different Holes that are helping you on this treasure map to figure out what you're meant to do with your life and you went for it you went for it mm-hmm. what would you say to someone that's kind of listening going oh my gosh it's too late for me
0: as it relates to it being too late I've seen people career switch I have a man in my uh graduate program who's 65 years old he is he is he's been working in um criminal justice in, in New York city. And he recognized that he wanted something more. And he had been told his whole life, just stay the path, stay the path, stay the path. And he decided he, he wanted to go back and he wanted to do what he wanted to do. So he's 65 years old when most people are thinking about retirement and he's he's honing his, the thing that he's most excited about. So it's absolutely not too late, I think. Um, My, I'm very much a people pleaser. So leaving my job, leaving accounting, leaving this path that I had set out for myself was very difficult. Um, It took a lot of, I'll admit that my husband was huge for me throughout this process. And he was not only supportive, but also kind of shook me a few times and said, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. I mean, you starting at a job is, is amazing. They're going to train you and, and you, you know, need to give it your all. But if it is not for you, you do not need to stay. You don't need to stay for anyone else. I mean, your life is is your life and that's it. Even if it were your parents, right? What do you owe them? You owe them to do what is going to make you happy. That's what they want. And ultimately, if you're at a career, you're in a career and, and you feel like, you know, your bosses need you to stick around or it's too late or whatever it is, you're really only letting yourself down. So I that's that's probably what I would say is um, for yourself, it's it's most important to recognize it is not too late.
1: Agree. We have so many stakeholders in our lives. And a lot of times, like you said, for college students, it's the parents. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say when you were five years old, you'd be a doctor and they get in their mm-hmm. first chemistry class and they say, wow, I'm not feeling this. And it is always your footprint on the planet. You get one, you get one. Mm -hmm. And so you're going after it. And you certainly have not been the traditional, let me sit in an office and do my job, right? Especially during this Mm -hmm. pandemic with Mm -hmm. so many people remote, share a little bit about what your life's been like the last few months.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I sort of briefly mentioned that travel is like the thing that, you know, for me, ideally, that's where I would be spending my time and money. Um, so we actually before the pandemic even hit, it was October of 2019. We decided we were going to travel. My job at that point was fully remote. It was one of the few companies really in America at that point that was 100 percent remote. Um, and it was going to give me the opportunity to, to hit the road. So we were going to do big cities. We were going to hit New York and Chicago and Boston and, you know, live there for a couple of months and, and sort of live, work and travel, uh, and then COVID hit and it changed all the plans, um, all the big cities shut down. So we were going to sell the car. We decided to keep the car and we hit the road. So we hit the road in March of 2020, so it's been about um, coming up, I guess, on 16 months that we've been traveling the country. We've been we've hit 30 states at this point, 30 35 states. It's it's been wild, and we've stayed in you know two to three weeks in different places. We've been able to see friends and family, and um, I again I'll come back to my privilege. I recognize that you know we we were in a place where not only were our jobs remote, but we you know financially could handle. Um, we actually figured out a way, believe it or not, to not spend any more on rent on the road than we did when we were just stable. So that was definitely, you know, there was some strategy there, but it's been a blast. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people have said, I just don't understand. How do you, you know, how do you make that happen? I, logistically, it just doesn't make sense. And I think it's another one of those, the it's too late mindset. It's another one of those that like, if you just challenge that mindset, and you write down all the things that you're really concerned about and sit down and look at each one of them, there's a way you can figure out how to make it work. I mean, did this whole thing really make a whole lot of sense? No, but (laughs) it turned out to be exactly what we needed. And it was a great way for us to go through COVID and be able to explore and get outside. And I know it was a really tough year for a lot of people. Um, And it was tough for us too, but it it made it just a little bit easier because we knew that we were doing something that we wanted to do. It didn't necessarily make sense to everybody. We definitely got judged by a lot of our friends and family and we just kind of had to to roll with it and recognize that it was, we have one life, right? Like you said, we've only got one. We're only here once.
1: (laughs) What a great just idea to go on this adventure and now that so many people realize that when we're coming back to our work life some of it might be hybrid there may be more opportunities mm-hmm. for people to explore new areas and follow that other side of wanting to travel and being able to still like plug in and connect to their their work life so yeah. thanks for sharing that that part mm-hmm. of your your journey so you said uh, a few more months and you're done congratulations mm-hmm. I want to read all your books books that you're going to write. I know there'll be one about like picking your partner and money and there'll be one about this whole remote life. And Oh my gosh, it's going to be great. We're going to be looking out for that. So our last question, Audrey, is we're going to get in our time machine and we're going to zoom you 20 years into the future. You got to calculate your age. I won't make you say it, but know, know what age you'll be. And so you'll be done with this new degree. We'll have been working for, for 20 years in the profession. What advice would you give to yourself today? What do you need to hear from your older, wiser self? Um,
0: I personally right now need to hear that uh, I don't need to know it all right now. I don't need to be an expert in everything right now. I need to give myself a little bit of grace. Um, And I think self-care is something that as a driven planner has really been put on the back burner, but it makes life more enjoyable. And we only have one of them. So my two things would be, don't drop the self-care, um, whatever that means for all of us. And it's okay to not, uh, not, not, it sounds bad. It's not that I'm looking to know everything, but in this new career path, I'm interested in so many things and I want to know all about them right now. Uh, And there's just not enough time in the day, and I would burn myself out if I did. So that really would be the the message and and the advice is don't burn yourself out. Take your time. Um, Life may be short, but it's really not. You know, I've 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 got time. Um, So take the time to to enjoy where I'm at right now. Be present, and the knowledge will come.
1: Thank you, Audrey. Of course, this is so
0: fun.